0: welcome back everyone to aspire the leadership development podcast where we will be discussing the visions inspirations and experiences from top educational leaders my name is joshua stamper and you can connect with me on twitter or on instagram at joshua double underscore stamper i'm so excited to have dr rick jedder on the program rick has been in education for over 20 years as a teacher all the way up to a superintendent currently rick is the co-founder of pushing boundaries consulting trainer, presenter, blogger, and author of six books, including one of my personal favorites, Dunk Tank. Rick, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Josh, a great honor. I really appreciate it. You have been interviewing some amazing people, and to be among those is really an honor.
0: Rick, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey on how you went from the classroom to the superintendent to the co-founder of your own educational consulting company.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, I don't know if you know it, but I took a step back into the classroom. That's right. And that's where I started. And I'm actually writing something called The Veteran Rookie, because that's how I feel, man. I don't think anybody masters anything, and it's just this ongoing process. But I did start out my career as a teacher, middle school teacher, English. Absolutely loved it. And then got tapped on the shoulder, right, to go into those administrative roles, assistant principal, principal, assistant superintendent, right? This mythical, this type of mythical step up this ladder, right? I don't even know what this ladder looks like, but people think they have to climb this ladder, right? Yep. And when I hit the top of that ladder, whatever you want to call it, as a superintendent, I faced some pretty crazy adversity in my career and resigned. I actually went into the business profession, worked for this really cool company designing curriculum and stuff like that. And then I thought, you know what? I think it's time to go back in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So there I am, right? So this this ladder, this mythical ladder that we all think we have to go up, I'm actually at the top right now as a teacher. That's kind of how I see it. And that's what the veteran rookie is going to be about. So thanks for asking.
0: Yeah. And so on this podcast, I want people to know that there's some amazing aspects of educational leadership. But at the same time, I want them to understand that it's a difficult field. What were some of the largest trials that you had as an administrator and as a superintendent that kind of led you back to the classroom?
1: Yeah, I was dealing with issues where I had to hold staff members accountable and their family were on the board of education. Hmm. They're family members. I mean, go figure. How do you deal with that? Right. Uh, And that's how that looked, you know, and I had to do some some things that were right. I made some mistakes along the way. Treated everything as a war and a battle. It got the best of me. You know, and and it took my health away from me and it took me away from my family. You know, I didn't see my kids. I was working long hours and uh, I'm feeling like a million bucks now. Yeah. You know, rocking and rolling with the kids. I'll tell you one thing, though, man, I'm old. I'm feeling old around those kids. I can't move as quick as I used to.
0: I have five kids running around me all the time. I feel old, too. (laughs) I know, it's crazy. (laughs) High octane energy, right? Oh, yeah so going back in your preparation to become an administrator what was one of the most impactful experiences you had as a teacher that helped build those leadership skills
1: you know Rebecca and I talk you know my co-author and, and business partner we talk an awful lot about student voice and we've written about it and it's nothing new for us even though we've recently written about that I've always kind of tapped into student voice and and have gotten their feedback along the way I think the students need to be right at or, I mean, we, we, look, look, at it. we got to walk to the walk. You know, we can't, we can't say like, oh yeah, students are the center and then not do anything about it. So I've always kind of done that and, and gotten kids feedback about what I was doing. And I really valued that over the years. And I, I'm actually better at it now going through leadership experiences and then heading back into the classroom. I think I'm just better at it. And I show that, I tell them that I, you know, want to walk the walk and they believe me. And then we, we walk it together. And it's really cool.
0: Now I love that because as an administrator, we get to go and experience a lot of different things going into the classroom. We do our observations. We go to all these mm-hmm. conferences and we learn. And I've heard a lot of administrators say, man, if I would have just gone back to the classroom, I think I would have been a much better teacher. What other aspects are you noticing now that you're in the classroom that you may not have known when you first began?
1: Well, my experience previously was never in the urban uh, setting. It was in a suburban setting. I'm in the urban setting right now. And it is, I go into work and I think that I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, but then at the end of the day, you get those kids that are just, they just rock your world and they need you and they love you and... It, it really is fulfilling, even though I come and plop myself on the couch after just exhausted, but it I'm just you know I'm just trying to figure things out and, and navigate and contribute the best that I can to their lives. and I really I really do enjoy that. So the urban setting, it is completely different than the experiences that I had as a teacher years ago. And you know you know this Josh, education is so much different. The accountability is so much different nowadays. But I don't feel that pressure, you know, I don't I don't think that what I'm doing will ever go astray and not breed some really awesome results for the kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling good. Well rested. We've had a few snow days up here in Buffalo. So we've gotten, you know, some extra time off to sharpen the axe. And uh, I can't wait to see them next week. And we're going to rock and roll.
0: And in your transition from a teacher to an administrator, what was one of your biggest misconceptions as you moved from the classroom to the administration position?
1: I had a hard time in the actual position itself. There was this big disconnect. And I'm not bashing my alma mater or anything like that. I went to Buffalo State College and then UB for my doctorate. And at that time, I, I was you know, well into my school leadership. But there's a difference between sitting around and talking about theory and going in on the job and experiencing all this crazy stuff going on at the same time, right? The phone's ringing, the computer, everybody needs you. Everybody wants a piece of you. And it, that disconnect was that life learning experience where you just get it on the job. And you cannot theorize about that in a classroom setting. Don't get me wrong, I think it's important to balance theory and practice. But when you're in there, man, and you know this, it's wildfire, right? There are days where your hair's on fire. Mm-hmm. I used to feel like my hair was on fire, and I've gotten control of that a little bit better with more wisdom that I get. So I, I think that disconnect, we can look past it, grow from it, but, but be aware of it, that if our colleges and universities aren't delivering the things that we think they should, it's not to panic. We're going to learn that on the job, and getting a great mentor along the way is so vital, mm-hmm. who's right in the setting with you.
0: Yeah, mentorship is so huge. What about mentorship was so great for you in your leadership experience?
1: I think I was able to see the things that I didn't want to do and also the things that I found those people to be really noble about. you know, they just had this zest for calmness and control. Um, and I didn't always have that, but I look back and I really I respect those people a lot more for the the thick skin that they had and dealing with any issue that came their way and never letting them see you sweat. And I I really look back and value those people. Some of them were university professors. Some of them were uh, people in my districts. And just, I really value that more than ever um, and and look fondly upon that.
0: Which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop?
1: Bringing people together is, is often very difficult because they could be some of your parent groups. They could be your board of education. They could be... A smaller ecosystem of people who just have a different belief system than you about how things should get done. And that was very difficult for me. Again, I said earlier, I'd be a bit stubborn about what I thought was the best thing for kids. And that's stubbornness. And I, I've learned to be better at that, to listen a little bit more and and not be so you know steadfast and stubborn about issues. And I think people notice that, that it's very natural that I, I'm a different person um, and that's, that's how I, right. It's like honey and, and get the bees. You're not going to get them with vinegar. So, no. you know, it's so easy for us when we feel like we're right and we're all doing the right things for kids. I mean, no one wakes up in the morning and is like, Oh, I'm going to go, you know, do some terrible things for kids, but <laughs> you just want to bridge as much as you can with others. and And that listening is so huge.
0: How did you work through a lot of times when you had to make really really tough decisions and maybe the other person involved didn't agree with those decisions
1: Yeah, I, I learned to apologize you know if I did something that really wasn't the most professional I've learned to apologize and shoot them straight and say hey listen you know we've got to move forward I'm just really sorry you know that things went down this way but forgiveness and apologies are really important we don't sometimes we don't talk about that in education because it's vulnerable And we hide, sometimes we hide those feelings or or suppress them. But those are two things that not only I try to practice, but, you know, Rebecca and I have written about that extensively in The Dunk Tank.
0: Well, and that's one of the reasons I love this book, The Dunk Tank, is because it's real talk. It's getting into the nitty gritty of things and really uncovering the positions as they are. And so what led you guys to write this book and come together with a bunch of different educators and kind of get their perspectives on things?
1: Yeah, we really just we learned so much by speaking to so many school leaders across the nation. And their stories are real and they're some of them are very tragic. Some of the school leaders are hurting. They're hurting for acceptance. They're trying to find their way and they're struggling. Others are on top of their game and and don't feel that they've reached any adversity in their career, right? There's this huge spectrum. And we we wanted to break down for people that there are emotional driving forces. There are things that, that people feel that will create adversity and there are tactics that they use that will create adversity. And we thought that explicitly talking about those things through these people's stories, these school leaders' stories is what we needed next. Like to really intentionally think like, wow, these things actually happen and here's why. And then, if we talk about it, we're confronting it before it even happens. And I think you know we've presented in lots and lots of places, even school board associations. And we're just like, hey, listen, there's only one strategy here: you either talk about these different things or you ignore it. And we found that just bringing out that elephant was so crucial. And and people are having the conversations now about you know the emotional driving forces and and things that people might do to get under each other's skin. Uh, or win, right? Mm-hmm. So we just, we wanted to flesh that out, Josh. We're really proud that we did. It's it's um, I'm humbled to say we've helped a lot of people, even people who didn't need help, but they're now in tune with those things a little bit more and can keep an eye out for, for different things that might go down. It's a slippery slope. Leadership is one of the best things in the world, but it also can be one of the most stressful things. And we just want to help people the best that we can. Mm-hmm.
0: And Rick, I would say you have an incredible pulse on the future of education. You travel around the country and you speak. What is the largest barrier that you see for the success of leaders?
1: I think we are headed for technological advancements that are just mind-blowing, like just absolutely Mm mind-blowing. And they're going on now, and they're right around the corner as well. And I don't think our schools are set up to even possibly get ready for this explosion that's going to happen. So we're writing, you know, leading in an age of the unknown is the title of the book. and we we have a mock cover that has this little girl's hand with the hand of a robot. And we're trying to figure out how we bridge industry with education because i don't I don't think we're doing it well, Josh. You know, I, I think we have a lot of work to do. and it's not it's blameless, right? It's just that we're just not prepared structurally. Our schools are not prepared. Financially, they're not prepared. Mm-hmm. And we've got to really do a, a, a bang up job on this to try to help our systems. So that's that's something I think is is a pressing need. And it takes years and years to to gather funds. And it look, we got to talk about this stuff now because it's right around the corner. And I, I think, you know, some people are doing a great job with talking about it. There's a lot of STEM research right now. There's coding and programs in schools and, like, really innovative things happening. But I think that's just a ripple in the water right now. I think we really have a a long way to go, and we just want to write about that as best we can.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I was just talking to my staff the other day about professions that we won't even know will exist in five years drone pilots are one thing that's really really large right now they're seeking for that and yeah. when we were growing up we didn't even know what a drone was so yeah. you know how are we going to prepare ourselves for things <laughs> that is don't even exist and then you look yeah. at artificial intelligence i mean there's just a whole host of things that are going on right now and it's it's scary that our educational system is not set up to prepare our students for those careers yeah. which leads me to my next question and i know there's a lot of areas in education but if you could just choose one area what would you want to change about education? I think
1: there are a lot of superintendents who are doing very creative things with their capital improvement projects. And I I would hope that they can get students and in industry at the table before those decisions are made. I think it's really great. You know, wow, capital project. We're going to have this new school. We're going to have this new building. We're going to have a new gymnasium. We're going to have it, right? And, and superintendents work really, really hard to make that happen. And they work alongside their business officials and their community and get the votes right to pass and get that budget rolling. But I, I think sometimes we don't have industry seated at the table. Um, And that is something I would, I would like to see happen more. Um, Let's, let's get the folks from IBM to sit with us and plan, you know, let's get our local uh, businesses in there and. And figure out how we can best support kids. So that's that's something I'm really passionate about and Rebecca's
0: as well. And what is one initiative you've implemented on your campus or at the district level that you're extremely proud of?
1: Oh yeah, we're do you know my students and I are participating in this global leadership network. Um, and we're doing a lot of podcasts and and you know TV talks with kids from Argentina and and different countries we have scheduled for the spring. You know, I found it on Twitter. I found this whole host of this global network and kids wanting to talk to other kids and I've teamed up with some really great uh, teachers in Argentina. We had a blast and we're sharing our projects about how we're going to change the world. I think it's so cool and it's something I never did years ago and I just, it is so amazing the connections that we have just through media. And it's just wild. I mean, you and I met through social media. That's right. It's just amazing, isn't it? The connections.
0: And so for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them?
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to go back to the stubborn thing. I think we and we get really excited, right? We we want to do something really terrific for kids. We think we're right and everybody else is wrong. Looking at that and examining that and and our passion is a really good thing. But good thing. But the delivery, just watching how we deliver it and, and not coming across as a Mr. or Miss Know-It-All being humble. I wasn't always humble. There were days I was super cocky because I thought I was right. I think that delivery is so crucial. And you know what? We may be right about an issue, but let's have everybody kind of judge that, not not just us. And then together we can kind of move forward a little a little bit better. that That's the essence, right? That humility sometimes is, it gets away from us. We have to be grounded in that.
0: And I want to go back to a topic you brought up earlier about you know, working long hours and continuing to stress out about different things. So in regards to leadership burnout, what are some strategies our leaders can use to make sure that they don't burn out?
1: There, there's this addiction that I had to emails. I spent a lot of time always looking at my phone and walking around with my head down answering, you know, inquiries. And, and I was missing people when I was walking around with, you know, <laughs> staring and trying to respond to all these pieces of information I had to push out, right yeah. And I missed a lot of great people along the way because my head was down. That in itself brings a, a healthy balance because if you can do that stuff that isn't urgent at a later time and let it mount up, that's fine, you know because in the in the meantime you're enjoying people and you're not missing them. I think that is so huge looking at those managerial tasks and putting them off for a while if they're not urgent, so you don't miss people the joy of of people and I've learned that over my years mm-hmm.
0: in addition to your educational position you speak at conferences you blog and you're very active on social media how did you find your voice beyond your district
1: yeah I I would just you know start typing something that I was really passionate about and then it turned into a blog and then it was sent out and then people were forwarding it and people were like wow that's really that's a great idea that's a neat way to look at stuff and it's like the yellow pages, right? Let your fingers do the walking. You remember that? Yep. Now I'm just letting my fingers do the typing, trying to contribute as much as I can to the field. And and if others want to listen and, and kind of be like, yeah, I could learn something from that, then that's terrific. Even if I help one person, but I'm, I'm kind of letting my fingers do the walking right now and, and the typing. I find it therapeutic as well, Josh. You know, some some of my buddies they go and play around at golf. They spend six hours, have a couple beers. You know, hopefully get a hole in one or a, a a nice birdie. I'm at the computer typing away. I find it to be my putting green. I just love the the craft of shaping things and thinking and and innovating. Well, I don't think I'll ever stop.
0: Well, your fingers are doing the walking because I've seen you've got several pieces of work in the works. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to highlight a few and what's coming out for you.
1: Yeah, no, thank you very much. And I, I mentioned both of them. Uh, the Veteran Rookie is going to be really a, a, a book about reflection and mentorship and supporting teachers, no matter if they're a first year teacher or a 20 year teacher. And then I talked about leading in an age of, of the unknown. I mean, it's just oh, it's so, oh, it's so amazing. The research that goes into that one and seeing what industry is doing. And by the time we write that one, it's going to be outdated. By the time it comes out, it's going to be, it's outdated right now, <laughs> and I'm typing it. So those are two passion projects that that I'm working on and, and the uh, tech one with Rebecca. So thanks for asking. Really excited about those projects.
0: Oh, most definitely. And I'm excited to read them. In closing, what's the most enjoyable aspect of leadership?
1: Yeah, you get that big picture. You know, you get to see a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. I think it's fun to see that. You know, It's fun to see improving systems from your level and the things you can you can really do to persuade others and help others to make the right decisions. So that that global lens is so amazing. It it takes you out of your classroom and gives you that bigger picture and seeing a system operate together. That's a great end of the day kind of thing. You know, it's like wow the impact that that we had right as leaders on a whole bunch of people is is really it's something you can you can go to bed and tuck yourself in between the sheets and feel like wow it was, a, it was a good day
0: and how can our listeners connect with you on social media
1: oh yeah they can find me anywhere at rick Jetter, right that that at symbol and rick jutter rickjutter.com you can join us at pushing boundaries you'll, you'll find me anywhere just type my <laughs> name in
0: and with pushing boundaries i just want to give you an opportunity too to let our listeners know what that consulting company is all about Oh, yeah.
1: So Rebecca and I started, we we really are passionate about this anti-status quo movement. And we just started messing around with concepts and ideas and, and the things that we wrote and the people we want to hang around with, you know, the friends we want to make. And we started growing this PLN on social media with just some amazing, amazing educators and thought leaders, right? It's like. Uh, Rochelle Poth and Rachel Mann and Eric Francis and just, right, Jeff Kubiak and Julie Woodard, like all these amazing people. Dan Tricarico, like just awesome, awesome people and authors and thinkers. And we just feel like we have a lot in common with them. So we set up a business and we're going to do a lot of really creative things in the upcoming year. Stay tuned for that. We're not even sure what that's going to look like. There's going to be a million different projects going on. Um, but that's at uh, PushBoundConsulting.com, and you can uh, check us out at PushBoundEDU as the hashtag. It's it's a PLN, and it's a, an amazing group of thinkers and reflectors, and, and I'm just honored to be a part of that movement.
0: Yeah, and it's so important to have a wonderful network like that. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast, and if you've gotten any value from the show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the AspireLead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Rick, thank you so much for being on the program.
1: Josh, I had a blast. Thanks so much, buddy.